Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You literally just said you can't have two Lamborghinis at the same time. You've got two Lamborghini tractors. So I've got four right now. Fucking hypocrite. <laughs> I'm Chiro Champi, self-styled Mr. Petrol Hedonism. The Sharnbrook Hotel, which is our family hotel. We started getting known for hosting and being friendly to petrol heads. I have got so many stories. If he's watching, we did not let a dog into your room to shit on the floor. And <laughs> I felt sorry for my housekeepers who had to clear it up. I remember Lord Aline coming to an event, walked around the show with a selfie stick filming, and I had no idea who he was. We sold out the event with two hour traffic jams in all directions. Petronas in 2024 is where we go in even bigger. Three of the worst things that have happened to me, being diagnosed with depression, being shut down for COVID, and then also my Lamborghini Aventador caught fire. She's full of fuel, see smoke coming out, and the fire was too far gone, it's a fuel fire. My biggest concern was it was gonna just explode. So today we have Chiro, and we are coming off the back of an amazing car event that you organized at the weekend at Nebworth, which was petrol headism. And I have said that right, haven't I? Yeah, it's petrol hedonism. This petrol one's hedonism. live, so petrol hedonism live, and uh, it's at Nebworth. And it was incredible because I saw the amount of people that went, and not only the amount of people that went, but some of the guests that were also there and people that were displaying their cars and had stands. And the event just seemed to look like an entire success. And I was supposed to make it there on the Sunday, but I had a little something crop up, but 100% will be coming to the next one. I just see them getting more popular every time. So looking forward to coming along. Thank you. It's a testament to how the community we've looked to grow uh, has literally been such a success coming out of the bat from COVID reopening and the way we've collaborated with clubs and uh, content creators and just people in general having a feeling of belonging. It's it's an online page at the end of the day, but the events make it real. So for people that no doubt will be here because they already know what you do, but for anybody that doesn't really know what you do or want more of an idea, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Chiro Ciampi. I'm British Italian, born here in the UK. Uh, we're basically self-styled Mr. Petrol Hedonism. I created the word Petrol Hedonism back in 2017 to kind of 
just give us an umbrella brand for all the events I was hosting at the Sharnbrook Hotel, which is our family hotel. And then coming out of COVID, we realized that we'd outgrown the hotel and some of the collaborations we're having with Tucked Automotive or Our Bath Club and having um, content creators, influencers coming along to our event, we realized that we could host events at bigger venues, but also that would grow uh, events geographically around the UK. Um, like we have people screaming out for us to take an event up north, which is happening next year. Um, and so this just kind of gathered moss in the last two, three years is just been phenomenal growth. And now we have three Halo events going into 2024, one at Wembley, one uh, in Southampton and one at Nebworth. So and is the Wembley one... Is that, is that already, have you done one now already? So we've done Petronism Underground, April 2023, the first inaugural event ever to be hosted in the coach car parks at Wembley Stadium. Ridiculous venue, amazing and very unique, but we were able to kind of channel our inner Tokyo kind of drift, Tokyo underground car show scene. It wasn't, it's a car meet scene, but we made it into a show at Wembley. And the fact that's inside the M25, just really uh, drew people's imagination. Uh, it's a very succinct, manicured show because of the areas that we can use, but the transport links and everything, it just made it so phenomenal. The feeling was amazing. But if I take it back slightly, I believe eight years, because I'm doing this with my driver's license, because I was into cars immediately as soon yeah. as I passed my test. And <laughs> even, even before that, I probably did 500 miles driving stuff up and down our drive. Yeah. So... I must have come to one of your events, I reckon about 2018. And no doubt the first time I ever saw you, like many people, I think you'd have been high-vis vest up to the max with a megaphone, shouting, trying to arrange something at the Shamrock at the time. And I remember that event that I went to that day. The convoy to get there was insane. When we actually arrived at the event, Yanni was there. You had um, people that were unbelievably influential that had brought in... Yeah so many people to the venue so how you mentioned that you started say this this brand this current brand a few years back say yeah. but how long is your passion for hosting car meets and where did it start at the chambre so we go right back to the beginning as a family we had a restaurant uh, in clapham bedfordshire i started working there when i was 11 like school and then in the evenings helping out in the restaurant when uh that had so much success as a family restaurant it grew we bought a plot of land in Sharnbrook and we built this hotel. And in 2006, end of 2006, we opened the hotel. 2007 was our first full year. And as kind of like the eldest and also the one with the entrepreneurial spirit to kind of build the facets of the business, um, and this will come into play later as well, but the facets of the Sharnbrook Hotel were conferences, weddings, restaurant, uh, accommodation. And one of the things I introduced was an Italian car day in our first year, 2007. And that was hugely popular. And I went into how do I get this out to people that we've got an Italian car day? I used pictures from events that I visited of Italian cars on our poster. I put back then, 2007, I put posters in shops around the Bedfordshire. I only thought local like Bedfordshire, Rushton sort of thing. And some car forums. So back then it was forums. And um posted a few of those. We've got a couple of bikes along and maybe had about four, five Lamborghinis, three Ferraris, some Alfa Romeos and Lancers. But it really captured the imagination. There was a poss possibly about 250, 300 people. We had a pig roast. We had a few local friends come along, and it was just a really nice, intimate affair. 2008, that, that event doubled. 2009, because we had classic car people with an Aston Martin complaining that we'd put them 
in the field behind a hotel rather than in the show on an Italian car day felt we were discriminating because their car wasn't Italian. We introduced the classic car day. And by 2010, we introduced a supercar Sunday, which was as big as our last uh, Italian car day. So all of a sudden we got three big events. And then the year after that, we introduced a breakfast meeting. But all the while gathering moss, we are the Rolls-Royce Club coming to stay with us and having their club event with us, the uh, Fiat 500 Club UK celebrating their anniversary with us. And we started getting known for hosting and being friendly to Petrolheads car people. Um, and with big enough car parks, etc., it really gathered. By 2017, we're hosting nine huge events a year. Uh, I remember Lord Aleem coming to an event in 2015. Um, Lenny, uh, then known as Lenny the Geezer, uh, Yanni had come along. But Lord Aleem walked around the show with um, a selfie stick filming. And I had no idea who he was. And we've we've laughed about it recently. And um, that evening after Supercar Sunday, I got a message with some links from two or three people that have been at my show saying, look at this, you, you're on YouTube. It's like, what? What's going on? And it had 27,000 views within a couple of hours of the end of my show. And it really started opening my eyes up to how much the people coming to the show were enjoying themselves, networking, but the guests, the spectators, the photographers were marketing our events far and wide. And then from obviously influencers attending our event putting it on their socials it all of a sudden turned to 2017 when we sold out the event on the day with two hour traffic jams in all directions and i love saying this sean because five orifices and we filled each one of them like five ways in five ways out and every single one of them was blocked the locals absolutely hate me the horsey types in the village hated me but for me it was like one of the biggest achievements of my car show career but it also made me realize, look, we may have outgrown this. Um, and then coming out of COVID a few years later, that's when we realized, yeah, I've got to take this elsewhere, not only geographically, but also for the numbers. And our first tucked event at, um, uh, that was at Duxford Aerodrome, but the uh, closed down village opposite the aerodrome coming out of COVID, we had 6,000 people at our first event. It was a sellout and it was, it was a lot of risk was taken for that because the UK hadn't really opened yet and back for business, but we'd already put dates in the diary and where big events were not taking a risk of could it, would it go ahead? The big corporate We giants. literally, yeah, we literally went ahead. So those grassroots events in 2021 uh, were huge for us and they all went ahead. We played within the rules. We bent them slightly a little bit, but everybody came out, showed out, and that's where we kind of really solidified what petrol hedonism was. I made the word up in 2017 to find an umbrella brand for all the different car shows we had at Sharnbrook. But now we have that umbrella brand for everything we do around the UK, whether it's collaborating with Tucked, Arbar Festival, Calvin's Car Diary, Adam C. Fest, Auto Alex Shed Fest, and so many more. What I find uh, amazing looking at it now is obviously back then you were using the car park at the hotel at the venue to host the events it's like you had a methodology of actually having a car event because you had a hotel yeah and there's a, there's places out there now obviously caffeine and machine will say spring to mind where though that idea that you encapsulated right back then in 2007 with an italian car day there's actually places out there now that are literally a oh, mix of a venue and automotive it's amazing there's so many like caffeine and machine literally when they came onto the scene i was blown away by not only their marketing, their merchandising. Phil does a phenomenal job and they've just recently opened the bowl, which is just down the road for me. It's my new local. I was there yesterday for a coffee and meetings because it just makes sense. And I find it inspiring being surrounded by automotive memorabilia and that feeling, that vibe. 
and getting on my work. We achieved so much in that three hour meeting that we had with my colleagues there. Um, there's a lot of places that have woken up to the fact that you can be petrol head friendly and open up your business to another avenue of clients. Now, for me, when I diversified in 2007 by having the Italian car day, it was to bring people to the venue. That's what it was, first and foremost, to see what else we did and the amount of weddings, conferences, this restaurant is what visitors I was that ask. we had come to car shows, but then book other things with us. And that's what you did with the hotel. I created many facets where people might come to a car show, but stay at the hotel the night before. Or they might come to the restaurant and see, oh, they've got a car show here in a couple of weeks' time. And we had guests flying in for Unilever, for the Bedford Autodrome. And again, they would find out more about the business. Uh, the social media stuff for the hotel really grew off the back of the car shows. But what I would like to ask is back in 2007, which is a key year in my head, because I always remember uh, my dad had his own business. And I always remember he, he acquired a company in 2007, which was yeah. a, his biggest step of all. Um, and then the recession hit. Yeah. I remember he always used to talk about the 07, 08 recession because he was in house building and the house building just crashed or everything just crashed. So if, if you stripped the cars away for a minute and just looked at, you've just bought a big plot of land and then built a hotel, which yeah. in itself is a is a huge story. What, what was business like just from a kind of business to business hotel perspective? So we opened the doors in November 2006 and it was just downstairs. So we had the function room, the restaurant open, and that's how we started going and bringing money in over the Christmas period. It was really busy. But the hotel side of things, the 23 rooms had to be finished and they were finished by the 31st of March 2007. I don't remember the recession. I have to say we opened up those doors and because my marketing, our approach, our reputation from our original restaurant was so good that I remember the business plan I wrote out for the bank for the loans and things like that to get us over, to get the hotel finished and et cetera. And I'd only suggested we do two weddings a month, uh, two conferences a month. I've been quite conservative on that. Year one, we absolutely smashed it with about 17 to 17 uh, weddings just in the period of the summer. I was booking in weddings before the building was finished and had windows. So it was just that, passion that entrepreneurial spirit that honestly we just pushed and i just believed in it so much so for me 2007 was the opening year really a full year and we did so much better than what the bank had expected what i'd conservatively written out on our business plan but then year two we did 55 weddings so 2008 55 weddings which fills the hotel has people drinking at a bar has people eating in a restaurant the night before as well as the conferencing unilever just been down the road from us had made a huge move into making it a science park. So they brought more businesses into the area. The hotel, only 23 rooms at the time, was busy every night of the week. At the same time, yeah, other people around us, two local hotels had closed down because of the recession. So where we hit the ground running with a great reputation, and it's similarly now, we've sold on the hotel, but Petrol Hedonism hit the ground running with a great reputation from everything we'd done at Chambre. And that's where... We continue, you have to keep pushing and you have to keep that spirit up and believe in yourself. But it's ultimately the passion that keeps you driving. And what I try and get to the bottom of um, at the beginning of these episodes sometimes is, to me, the bit that, that stands out, the question I have is, you, you just wrote a business plan. How old were you when you wrote the business plan? I was 30 when we opened the hotel. 30? Yeah. 
So up to up to that point when you were um, in childhood or the rest of you mentioned that your parents they had a restaurant, yeah. an Italian restaurant. So again, there's entrepreneurial split spirit. You can see it through the family, and then that's yeah. ob- that's obviously passed on. What what gave you the skills to be able to do that? Did you was it was you someone that was quite educated in school? Was you just hands on with your family business? What made you like? What what cooked you into the person that was able to write down a business plan and do that and go forward with that? So if we go back to when I was five, I'd go to the markets with my dad and I'd sell bin bags and I'd be hollering in the marketplace at Finmere. I was always helpful in the delicatessen we had and set up this stall outside before I went to school in the morning. I just wanted to be busy. I just loved being busy, loved helping and go to when we were hoping the restaurant in when I was 11, I'd be jumping in, waitering, etc. Like schoolwork came second, but I was always good at school. And go to when I'm 18, get my A-levels, I went to uni, did French and Italian University. I look back, that was a huge mistake because I should have kept up some of the business element or economics element of a degree as well as one of the languages. But coming out of university, I went into finance. I worked for Wilson Alliance Property Services in uh, financial services, then went into work for HSBC. And I think the three years I spent at HSBC, the world's local bank at the time, that was phenomenal for me to learn marketing and also focus my entrepreneurial spirit because I was marketing my services on a local basis, but with the power of a conglomerate bank. And that really helped me like focus in on what I needed to do, move on to when we opened the hotel for the whole year in the build up to the hotel, we were putting things out constantly. It wasn't social media, it was printed press, like uh, adverts to let people know that it was coming, what we were doing and also build up links. I remember going to Unilever and doing a presentation with um, the architect's drawings of the plans just to show them where the rooms were located and what we're going to build and how, because they were using hotels that are half an hour away rather than one that was going to be on their doorstep. And so already I started building relationships with the secretaries at Unilever that ultimately did the booking and everything from the hotel to car shows to where petrol hedonism now has always been about building relationships with people one-on-one and the advent of Zoom and um teams i still prefer to have a one-on-one meeting with someone sit across the table from eyeball to eyeball let them feel my passions that's not something you can always pick up on a zoom call um and really understand how passionate i am about what we do um so going back to your original question gone blank which was how yeah those skills when you were growing yeah. up that enabled you to do that so you were it was a mix between educational but hands-on within a business which is a you can see how that recipe would then develop you into a person that could write yeah. a plan. So you mentioned that you were at HSBC and that taught you quite a lot of things. Because yeah. one bit that I'm sure people would have been thinking when you said it earlier would be, oh, we just went off and got a loan and then just built a hotel. And it's like, okay, it's not quite like that. No. But did that experience within HSBC give you the nouse to be able to do that and, and take on some a, a huge amount of what I imagine to be a huge amount of funds to do something like that and present a business plan and go and get it? So with the hotel, the family restaurant had built up a small property portfolio. My parents had worked hard, made a lot of sacrifices over the years. Um, And my knowledge of how HSBC worked, and they were our bankers as well, um, made me realize how finance worked, etc. So a lot of the funding for building the hotel was from properties that we'd sold, to put it literally, you had a property portfolio which was liquidated to be able to 
buy, build the hotel, but obviously to finish the hotel, more money was required. Everything I'd learned up to that point came into its own. Like now, everything I learned up to this point is I'm using it now, but you continue to learn like social media for me is constantly evolving and changing, but how can we use that best? And so already since Petronism Live finished on Sunday evening, I've had two or three meetings about my social media and how we can evolve that further uh, because I'm not using LinkedIn, but LinkedIn could be a massive, massive source. Popping off at the minute. Exactly. Uh, especially with potential sponsors, traders that want to get involved, but don't know how. How many people does it take to run a family-run 23-bedroom hotel? So 23-bedroom hotel, um, I will add, in 2016, it was so successful that we added another 19 bedrooms. Oh, so wow. we made it a 42-bedroom hotel. Uh, with additional conference space, et cetera. And just before COVID, I had 52 employees. Whoa. Yeah. So 52 employees. And whilst I loved 90% of my employees, I will never, ever own a business or run a business where I have that many employees and that many people relying on you for their mortgage, their rent, and everything they have. And also, that's a lot of characters and personalities to deal with and your trying to work on their welfare and be considerate and you put yourself your own welfare at risk by doing so and you just when we sold the hotel the level of anxiety that just disappeared for the first time in 19 years of owning that hotel just disappeared 19 years that must <laughs> 19 years and in the end 52 people do you think cuz I'm I've got this now with um a, an investment that I've got uh, is really struggling to find key people. When you find a good one, you're like, oh my God, they're like God. Yeah. Like, because it's they just don't exist out like they're too much. And, um, but it's well, hard because you've just mentioned they're like God. So as soon as you make them feel like God, they can make demands. And if you put them on a pedestal where they're so important to your business, they know they're important to your business. So it's a constant hold to and throw in and hold your ransom. So would you have said, you said 19 years of experience running that business? Would you have said that it was easier hiring people at the beginning and finding good people than it was towards the end? Post-COVID uh, just changed everything. Like we had a massive, awesome management team that was so supportive of everything I did pre-COVID. But with the way that the pandemic made hospitality the scapegoat and we got lockdown, lockdown one, we came out of the bat, lockdown one, 4th of July reopened, we were doing um movie nights on a cinema screen with cars and that really tapped into our car audience to coming in with their supercars and americana and we made it onto cnn about how we like, opened up on the 4th of july with a movie and then we did that all summer by the time we got to october everything we'd lost in the business which i didn't think we'd do we'd managed to get back to zero so anything we'd owed we got it back to zero but then october november lockdown two hit us and then soon after reopening at the end of november december for um lockdown two we got shut down again for lockdown three, middle of December that year. Hospitality savage, isn't it? And it, that was a point when we decided as a family, we've got to sell this. We've got to be done. All my management team had left by then. And then coming out of lockdown three, I, I couldn't afford the staff on the same level as they were. They're all demanding much more. And I had people just as basic receptionists earning more than my management earned before COVID. And I don't hold anybody responsible or hold anything against anybody personally, but it just made it really difficult. You couldn't employ people. Nobody wanted to work. Nobody had the same commitment to the job as before. 
And a lot of them came into the job because we were desperate for somebody. But then as soon as something better came along, they went for it. And hospitality is a stressful business. And I take my hat off to so many people that are still in the hospitality business now. So I've been on holiday recently and just seen how hard people work. And I know how hard it is. And I'm the hotel that we had booked for 35 guests over the Nebworth weekend. And I, I'll cover the cost for most of my illustrious guests, influencers and content creators, etc. On the Thursday afternoon, they emailed me with an, to speak to me urgently. And I was like, look, if it's urgent, call me. The hot water pipe had burst. And there was no way they were going to get it fixed within 36 hours. And there's nothing you can do in that situation. I've been there. I said, look, 19 years experience of running a hotel. I know what position it is, but I know right now I can't rehouse 36, 35 people in another hotel locally. So I put out a message to everybody. They gave us 50% off the, the, the rooms and we moved on from there. But hospitality is difficult. I'm learning this because I just recently invested in a chicken van. Oh, cool. <laughs> things. Okay. But one of the UK's most popular ones, Gertwings, yeah. um, and it, it flies like you can't, like the, the queues. I've never seen a business that struggles so little for sales before in my life just Wicked. because the product's so good. But even when it looks so good to so many people, the stuff that I've learned behind that is like VAT. Yeah, It's like everything you are buying has VAT on it. Yeah. But every uh, sorry, you don't get your yeah. VAT back. Yeah. But everything you're selling has VAT on it. Yeah. And Imagine like, going to Booker's buying a bag of salad, zero VAT on that. As soon as you open it, put it in a bowl, twenty percent VAT. Yeah. But and, the customer doesn't get that. And then people complain about price and everything else. And it's just like, no, this there's so much overhead that goes with this electricity bills, and I think that is one of the issues with hospitality is just the the overhead is just strangling people like a noose since, yeah. since COVID. Um, it's quite tough out there. So you had a 19-year journey yeah. at that hotel. 53 staff at his peak, added 19 rooms to the existing 23. Incredible growth. You've saved it and dragged it out the depths of struggle through your passion for cars, which somehow came in and helped bring people to the hotel, but also created the kind of journey that you're now on. Yeah. But that wasn't easy at the end of the Shambrook, correct? No, it wasn't. It was. Uh, it became a way of life. My uh, personality, my identity was Mr. Shambrook uh, at the time because I did all the weddings. Conference, I was the face of the business uh, and I couldn't see another way. And that came to head October 2016 when I just celebrated my 40th birthday. Had an amazing a weekend uh, of parties and balls and celebrations at the hotel, raised loads of money for charity, went to New York with my wife and come back. And there was a lot of pressure there, a lot of stress involved with running the hotel with family members and got diagnosed with depression. And that made me realize that I couldn't walk away from it because it was my identity. I'd become known as the guy on the megaphone at the Shambrook Hotel car shows. I'd become known as the wedding uh, host. I'd become known as the face of the business and everything. And there was a lot of pressure there that ultimately broke me. I realized that I'd put the family, my four daughters, my wife, uh, family life to like level five, six on the priority order. And I put work, other family members as the top two, three priorities and put myself down to the bottom as well. And so that was a really difficult time to realize that. But also I couldn't walk away because I, my whole identity was Shambrook. So Three of the worst things that have happened to me, and I, I know you're going to ask this because uh, I've seen your podcast before, but, you know, three really difficult times for me was B2 
being diagnosed with depression, realizing I'd be stressed out for quite a while and built towards that breakdown, as it were. Being shut down for COVID was another major um, harsh time as well. And then also about a year and a half ago, my Lamborghini Aventador caught fire. But all of those, when I look back now, are highly positive moments in my life where I've managed to take those moments and I look back and if they hadn't happened, I wouldn't have refocused, grown, developed as a human being and changed my way forward, which ultimately all of those bad experiences have got to where I am now, sat opposite you, doing what I'm doing, doing what I love. And ultimately now I'm just chasing happiness. Success and money may follow, but where I am right now, Without the hotel, I've moved on and self-styled Mr. Petrol Hedonism. I can go back to, I'm 47 this week. I was 35 when I was away with my wife and I said, one day I just want to be doing car stuff. I just want to be cars only, cars every day, cars every minute. Every time I open my mouth, I want to be talking about cars. But I'm not a mechanic. I'm not an engineer. I was like, I couldn't see it when I was 35, how it would happen. And when I was 35, we'd only be doing car shows at the hotel for five years. I didn't know how it was going to happen. But now where I am literally every single time I answer the phone it's about cars whether it's talking to somebody about creating content or whether it's going out to America to organize a car show in Florida next year or oh, that's a bit of an exclusive um, or whether it's uh, SEMA at the end of the next month every conversation is cars and I've just got a permanent smile on my face and a lot of people can see that now as well that's the problem with this podcast. I intended on it being for everything, business, entrepreneurship. But the problem is I just love cars. If you look at my last <laughs> 10 guests, <laughs> I've kind of niched down a little bit too much. But you said uh, a minute ago, obviously, your three toughest things. And what's what's crazy about life? And it, it, when you speak to a lot of people and a lot of people that have um, had an entrepreneurial journey, etc. And the same happened to me. Everything seems to just come at once. It's like punches. It's like bang, bang, yeah. bang. And people get into these um, years, literally a, a, a really good friend of mine, similar thing ha happened to him. He, he um, split up with his girlfriend. Uh, then his dad was really ill and then his dad died. And it's like, I, I almost look back on what happened to me and I think, shit, he's having a really crap year. He is. Like, yeah. I know it will get better for him because it's only once you got through that, you know, it will get better. As, as you said, now you're now chasing yeah. happiness. I feel strangely in the same sort of situation at the minute. But do you think if you'd have gone back and told um, your past self that was in that position, say mentally rock bottom. Yeah. If you could show him a snippet of where you've got to now, do you think you would have believed that you could have got there? Not with the mental state or darkness that you're living through at that point where you are considering ending it all and you can't see it i can only liken it to being at the bottom of a well and you can barely see the light and you're trying to clamber out but you're constantly sliding back to the bottom and that's where you are in your darkest days or you're in a tunnel and there's no light switch and you can't get to the end of the tunnel you can't see any light anywhere if me today told that guy this was where we'd be i wouldn't have believed it it was such a dark place to be and i think you would just like you say being hit left, right and centre. And every time you're trying to get out, you're getting hit back down again. But ultimately, whether it's the entrepreneurial spirit, whether it's your, you know, I'm a really positive, outgoing. Um I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role 
like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Person that always believes in just making people laugh and make people happy. And that's where it came from with hosting of weddings. I'd love seeing people happy on their wedding day but making sure all the guests had a great time as well i love that and bringing together petrolheads now and seeing them smiling as they're walking around nebworth or wembley or any of our events i love that so ultimately my spirit wasn't broken and that's what got me out there but support from my wife my daughters saved me on so many occasions and other family members but the supportive network of friends petrolheads that i've given so much to and unbeknownst to me they were there supporting me because I'd given them a release for their mental health coming out of COVID where we'd all been locked in our houses. And when we come out of it, I did, I did a car meets where it was just for clubs where you'd come in, drive up, park next to the bench, we'd bring the pizza over to you so you and your partner could sit at the bench. But then six metres away, there was another bench. And so as best as possible within the rules, we were bringing people together as early as we could. And that speaks volumes to people and people still thank me for what we did coming out of those dark days. Um, and that goes back to that, those restaurant days. And when you were saying the times pre zoom and pre yeah. teams and all the rest of it, when it actually is more meaningful just to sit opposite somebody and speak to them and have a conversation. It's why I do this podcast in a van sat opposite the real show yeah. <laughs> rather than dialing you in on zoom with a pair of AirPods. Then yeah, um, absolutely. you get a completely different connection, but how, how did you decide enough is enough because pe- people be there, whether it's the sale of a business, whether it's the collapse of a business, whether it's deciding to start something that you put so much into and pursue something else. What, what moment is it that makes you go, I'm done? Like in, in terms of at the end with the show, I'm, right, I'm done. There it is better. Was, so it was lockdown two that having been closed for lockdown one, that Lockdown one was an amazing time. You never spend time at home with your family and have a holiday at home. If you're working 40 hour a week or you're working 60 hours or even up to 80 hours, like I was in our own business, you never go on holiday and spend time at home. You go on holiday, pack your bags, you're off, you're in another country on holiday, you come back, you're on pack, and then you're straight into work again. To have that time at home with my family like was phenomenal but at the same time you had all the worries that what's going to happen to the business what's going to happen financially am i going to lose my house i'm going to lose everything that i'd built in that time and coming out of lockdown one and being able to reopen and get ourselves straight within those first four or five months was amazing but then to get knocked down again with lockdown two and it just felt so wrong uh for hospitality to be made a scapegoat we reopened early december got set up for christmas had christmas parties booked in and then within two weeks, I think it was about 16th of December, we got locked down for lockdown three. And it was between that period that it was like, we're done. This is, We've got to sell it. Can't we're done. You can't keep doing this. that. You're losing all your top staff. They don't trust hospitality more. They've got no job 
um, security anymore because I don't know if furlough is going to carry on paying or not. And I don't know whether, you know, and they're not got any satisfaction from not going to work. They don't want to be at home all the time. Uh, a lot of them repurposed themselves, went into different things. And that was it. That was it. Lockdown two slash lockdown three, three. And I came out of, um, I set up petrohedonism.club limited November, 2020. Did you know you were going to, did you know you were going to do that before you sold the Shamba? Yes. So you had lock, a plan. Yeah. So petrohedonism.club limited was started in November, 2020 in lockdown two. And then we started looking at venues for 2021. The government gave us a plan that by April 2021, the, the certain rules would be relaxed and you could host uh, 50% of a venue size, et cetera, or groups of six. I can't remember exactly. So we worked within the rules and we worked to the government dates. A lot of other bigger car clubs or shows didn't want to take the risk and check because the government had changed the rules so many times. I had to just go with it and I had something booked nearly every two weeks coming out of April. And they all went ahead and they all met the rules. We had the police at the events walking around, making sure people are self social distancing. We played by the rules and we made it out there. Some of those events were at the Shambrook. Some of the events moved to new venues. I had another location in Findon, a Tower Field events uh, location, which is five acre cricket ground, meant that we could have even more people, more cars at the show. And it just started building from the Shambrook to Findon to Duxford and then uh, Shuttleworth. Uh, house as well we did a great event there with tucks as well and then that just proliferated into 2022 going even further with more events afield but by 2022 there was a handful of events at Shambrook as we started fizzling it down knowing that the hotel was for sale and ultimately you put a hotel up for sale you can't take wedding bookings you can't take long-term event planning integration because if we did take a wedding booking they're like well who's going to be running the wedding if you do sell it in the next three months and my wedding's next year who's going to be running it i don't know who's buying the hotel it could be an asian did family. you know if it was going to sell or not no idea no idea what the situation was we, we were but with it, an agent to start with who told us it was going to sell and we're going to get 4.25 million and never sold and the price came down to 3.25 ultimately we sold less than that uh, out of desperation and just needed it gone because the electricity bills had gone from 12,000 a month. Sorry, the electricity bills had gone from 4,000 a month to 12, 12 and a half thousand a month in April 2021. That's just the electricity, everything, all the ingredients, the staff, the um, utilities, everything had gone up by 30 to 40 percent. And it was just absolutely strangling us. So you're putting money, your personal monies in to keep it afloat to cover people's wages. And because you're up for sale, you're not getting the same level of business in anymore. So business is going downwards, bills are going upwards. And ultimately, we didn't know this, but uh, a property magnate from London bought the hotel. He'd already sold the uh, lease onto a contract, uh, a company that has government contracts for asylum seekers. So the day after we exchanged, we found out that it was becoming an asylum seekers hotel. Would I have still sold it to him had I known? We were desperate to sell it. It was either that or hand the keys back to the bank at that point. So it had to go. And that sale took about four months to process. And then on the day after exchange, we found out what the outcome was in terms of who was owning it, what they were doing. So it's a sad end for the Shambrook, but do I look back? Do I miss it? No. My life's moved on. And as I say, I'm chasing happiness. I sleep so well at night, not worrying about if somebody's going to come into work or not, if somebody's um, going to injure themselves or call us in the middle of the night or need an ambulance. You know, when you've got people sleeping in a hotel, you, anything can happen. Yeah. I've got some stories after 19 years. Go on. What was the best one? 
the best one. It always seemed to happen just before I go on holiday with the family. Um, so I always planned everything around what I had to do, weddings and then the speeches. And as soon as speeches are ended, my waistcoat, jacket comes off, jump in the car, come home. My wife would have loaded up the Grand Voyager and we're driving down to the south of France with our four daughters. And uh, this one time, um, I was just finished the speeches, went to the bar to put my microphone down. I was like, I'm done. And one of my housekeepers is sitting, standing in front of me. And she's like, oh, Chido, you've got to come upstairs. Problem, problem. And I was like, well, what's the problem? Somebody else can deal with it. I'm done. I've, I've got to go. No, no, no. Everybody said this one's for you. I was like, what is it? Someone said we'd let a dog into their bedroom and shit on the floor. I was like, what? We let a dog into their room and shit on the floor? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's shit on his floor. I was like, no, we don't have dogs in the hotel. Like nobody's brought a dog into the hotel and people aren't allowed to bring their own dogs into the hotel. So I was like, nobody else wanted to deal with it. And I was like, right, okay, I've just got to deal with this now and I've got to get out there. I'm I'm the eldest son, I'm the face of the business. I'll just go deal with it. I'm probably the best person, best place to deal with this in an appropriate manner as well. Went up, knocked on the door and this gentleman comes to the door in what I can say is an open bathrobe, just done up light in the middle. You can't see anything. Um, and he... And he started complaining that we'd let a dog into his room and it would shit on his floor. And I was like, look, I've been around all the rooms before checking. I'll do a, I'll do a random kind of check. And I did actually check this room. And I know nobody had been in your room. Your room was absolutely perfect. He goes, well, look, look. And he showed me in the bathroom there was shit on the floor. And I was like, all right, what's going on here? As he walked away, he went over to grab his shoes. And as he bent over to grab his shoes, I saw that he was completely stark, bollock naked. And I was like, right. I said to my housekeeper, females, just like, you don't need to see this. Just walk away, leave this to me. I looked into the bathroom, I could see his pants and some other bits hanging up on the um, window glass bit of the shower uh, return. And I thought, no, he's had an accident. And then I could see that he had uh, bandages and tubes and obviously he wasn't well. I asked him where his wife was. She's gone off to the wedding because they were at a wedding elsewhere. And he came back to speak to me and I was like, look, if you've had an accident, it's fine. We'll get it sorted. But I assure you, we've not let a dog into your room. At the same time, I'm stressing because I need to be home, getting in the car because we've got to make a Euro tunnel by a certain time. <laughs> and I'm trying to stay as calm as possible. This guy is adamant we've let a dog. He is 100% adamant we've let a dog into his room. You're not going to win there, are his, you? No. So I said, look, I'll move you to another room and we'll get this cleared up. And he just changed. He was like, that's brilliant. Thank you. And I was like, what the hell just happened? Customer's always right. I get that. You know, gentleman obviously wasn't well, had obviously had, had an operation of some sort. His wife has left him to deal with this because she don't want any more of it. Whatever was going on behind closed doors, you never know with the hotel. I have got so many stories. We did not let, if he's watching, we did not let a dog into your room to shit on the floor. And <laughs> I felt sorry for my housekeepers who had to clear it up soon after. I could see Rowan's already looking, thinking, I bet it was Ben's dog. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a running joke that my dog has shat on the floor before. <laughs> so I could already see that that's coming from that direction. Yeah. But yeah, I can imagine that running at a hotel, I suppose that you're never going to struggle. Hospitality is 24 hours. The amount of times you get a call in the middle of the night and two guys only ever happen once but two guys have come back from a night out and they're jumping up and down the lift the lift got caught and then they tried to crowbar the lift open damage my lift and everything and it's all our fault because the lift broke while they're in it and so things like that cost you money to repair and they're always right and you have to refund their money for their room so you don't even make money off their room because they've complained they got stuck in your lift but they won't ever tell you that they were drunk jumping in the lift or it's always your fault. Exactly. So, so it must be relief, some some of it now, looking back huge. on some of that stuff. But to touch on, because as you've said before um, earlier, 
you are a huge car nut. You live cars, breathe cars, love cars every day. It's what ultimately you couldn't help it in a way, I think, setting up an Italian car event at the hotel and then I think justifying it by saying, oh no, it's for the hotel. It's exactly. Good. But then finding it. <laughs> But you have had um, some really cool cars over your period of time as well for yourself, right? You said you love Italian motors yeah. and you've managed to own several Lamborghinis now? Yeah, so as a family in 2009, we were able to buy a 2007 Lamborghini Gallardo Spider, uh, which was kind of the jewel in the crown for the car shows we had and we used it. The, the phenomenal thing was in 2008, we had my graphic designer do our poster and he found like a pale blue Gallardo Spider. And he just inherently changed the colour to yellow for the poster. Then six months after that show, we got a call out of the blue saying, hey, got this car for sale. The gentleman's business has gone tits up and he's got to get rid of supercars in his fleet of vans. Are you interested in the Lamborghini? I was like, we'll come and have a look at it. I went and have a look at it. And literally, he just bought it for £155,000, had an £80,000 finance agreement on it. And he literally wanted £8,000 just to pay off the finance. So he was done with it. What with my yellow performante? Right. That is exactly the same thing you just described there yeah. is what happened. You had five cars and you had to get rid of all yeah. of them. But we were so lucky instead of 155, we paid 80 for it. And so we were so lucky to get that. And then that car was used on the poster. But the fact that the year before the car show poster had that car on it before even, even it was like a manifestation by doing it, but in not knowing it was a manifestation, that car became real. Had that for about 10 years, good 20,000 miles. It became very, uh, synonymous with me, the Sharnbrook, um, and I predominantly drove it out of the family. Um, and in this, in the, on the side, I have my 1974 Mercedes S, uh, SLC, which two years ago went through a uh, revamp, and I would call it gangster modification, with the gold penters and like two tone paint with a gold pinstripe, and still got the velour interior. It just looks gangster. Um, as well as I had a 79 Corvette C3. I had a Jaguar XJ6 1981, uh, Ferrari 348, uh, London Taxi. Some of those have moved on, but where I sit currently, right now, um, I've got the dream Lamborghini Murcielago Coupe manual. In yellow. In yellow, the launch colour. And I also have the Lamborghini Gallardo Coupe manual, but that's for sale because uh, I need to get rid of that to make sure I can keep the Murcielago. You can't have two Lambos at the same time. Although I do have two Lamborghini tractors. As well as still have the seventy four. Do you? Yeah, the oh, see are now that's cool, isn't it, Max? I talk to people about cars all the time. But when someone <laughs> says I've got a Lamborghini tractor, it's like, oh, what? <laughs> like that's sick. So for, I've had other Lamborghini tractors, but you, can't, you literally just towards. said you can't have two Lamborghinis at the same time. You got two Lamborghini tractors. So I've got four right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking <But>. hypocrite. <laughs> It's where the story started. And for me, I love Ferrari. I love the pedigree, the historic racing um, stories, everything that Ferrari is. But I love Lamborghini more, the underdog, where he started with the tractor business. And those tractor businesses uh, became the car business, pushed by Mr. Ferrari telling him he couldn't or shouldn't. A hotel like became that. the car business. Yeah. Yeah, I can see ways that you might relate and to the brand. There, as there's well. been people along my journey that have said to me, um, we're not going to support you or because of this, we're not going to support you with this. And uh, or you may have made that at that event you did. I don't want to name names, but that will cost you thousands this year. And that just pushed me when people so tells you some, someone tells you you can't do something or they're not going to support you. Then that pushes you to want to do it, prove it to yourself. First and foremost, I'm not proving anything to anybody else, but I stayed in my own lane 2021 and built 
this dream of petrol hedonism. And was it 2021 that Lamborghini potentially caused you the most stress when your was it Viola Ophelia? Yeah, Viola, Viola Ophelia. Viola yeah. Ophelia. The goat, but uh, also the name of my phenomenal event. It was, a, it was, con, can I, is it fair to say it was a controversial looking car? Oh, absolutely. And that's the whole point. Like she was beautiful anyway. Lamborghini Aventador Roadster 2013. Stunning car, stunning car. But for me, everybody already knew the car. Shmi had done a video on it when it came out 2013. Um, it had been owned by others and it's been seen and because there were only two viola ophelias in the uk it yes, was a well-known car yeah. okay for me i'd already been talking to uh sean huber huber design earlier that year before i even had the idea of possibly even being able to afford an aventador and he was doing this plug and play full carbon fiber kit for the aventador front and rear bumper totally transformed the look of it and i thought it looked really cool and aggressive and i still do what Viola Ophelia is, I do not have any photos or images of her without Huber kit on her. Okay. And so what she became was Marmite. And for me, I knew from a marketing perspective, that's what I needed her to be. Whether it was Horsepower Hunters photographing her and putting a sick face on it at Donington Supercar Secret Meet, but posting it on his story. Ultimately, he got my car on his story, whether he liked it or not. And so many others, it was so polarizing. But that's such a good marketing approach to it. I loved it. That's what was important to me. And so, like Tate says, what color is your Bugatti? You know, if you haven't got the Lamborghini, you know, you choose what color your Lamborghini is. I'll choose what I want to do and what color mine is. And once we added the Huber bonnet to it and then the wheels that we had made for it, the whole look was menacing. And I, I still love that car. But again, the fire was one of the... Because it, it caught fire, right? Caught fire. It was an EVAP failure. Um, people don't know whether it's because it's one of the hottest day in the UK. She'd sat at a show all day. It was hot. But then on the way home, I stopped at Shell. I filled up, got to £88.50. It clicked. I went click, click, click to £90. I'd done that forever on every other car. 10,000 miles on Viola in a year. I'd done a click, click, click to the nearest pound or whatever. Um, Which in but, a V12, you do a lot. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of don't want to go to the petrol station as much. So I'll fill it up as much as possible. Um, got home, picked up my daughter, went to Starbucks and on the way back, so out for about 20 minutes, she's full of fuel, um, see smoke coming out and went through four red traffic lights, never got a ticket, thankfully. Um, pulled up over to the other side where I knew it was safe because in the village of Shambrook, uh, sorry, Clapham, and I know the pub was closed down. So I pulled up onto the driveway there and um, she jumped out, ran out. I got my fire safety stick out, put it in there. The fire was too far gone. It was a fuel fire. My biggest concern was that it was going to just explode with that much fuel in the tanks. It was full. So it didn't explode. Fire brigade got there. And I remember my friend Buzzy Singh had his GTR catch flames on the motorway and he filmed it. And I thought, if anything, I need to film this. I need to document it. But also, I need to manage the way this goes out. I need to, I can't have people driving past, filming it, putting it on their story and people then assuming what's happened. I need to manage it. So this is what happened. I filmed it and this is how it happened and controlled a narrative as it were. And it turned into a really positive experience because the overwhelming outpouring of love, support from people in the petrolism community, but also the wider community was phenomenal. It went viral. Obviously, some people are like, ha, 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 whatever, rich man with a Lamborghini. But for those people that knew me, knew how much hard work it had taken for me to get that car. And I'd taken it 10,000 miles in that year 
to events, wherever I was invited, I would go with that car so people could see the car, enjoy the car. And yeah, it polarized people, but everybody loved seeing it because it was so individual as well. And it had become the jewel in our crown of petrol hedonism. Um, I look back now and I realized that car would have become stale in the car scene because had I have not had the fire, I would have still had that car today and I would still be going to car shows prolifically and I would be like ignoring it by this point because I've seen it so many times. That made me realize first and foremost how positive the community we're building as petrol hedonism has become, but also that I need to have something possibly new or different each year. And so off the back of that, we've built a car for SEMA this year, 1973 Corolla KE25. We've spent thousands on this car. We've brought together some of the most expert uh, fabricators, painters, interior, everything to put this car together. And we're taking it to SEMA. It's on a ship right now to go to Las Vegas and be on a stand with EBC Brakes, who are one of our sponsors and partners. And I now know that each year I need to freshen it up. By buying the Lamborghini Murcielago I've got, that is classy. It's there. I'm not going to take it 10,000 miles in a year. I'm not going to take it everywhere. It's going to be an occasion when that comes out. But I've still got the Porsche. I've still got the Mercedes SLC. And each year we'll add something fresh. We'll do something. But I also realize I need to move some of my collection on just to freshen it up. And also petrolism appeals to all the subcultures of petrolism, JDM. So the Corolla fits into that. And the JDM crowd can see that I love JDM cars. The Mercedes is kind of like the uh, lowered lifestyle, modern retro car, and I belong to that. So there's other things in the workings so that people can see that I really love anything automotive. And so over the next two, three years, we're just going to keep activating all those different audiences. So we just mentioned you're heading to SEMA yeah. in November, correct? I'm so tempted to just get some tickets and come out after me. I'm like, oh, shall I just go next year? But I'm like, the more people that I know, and you just showed me a list, the more people that I know that are now going out there, I'm like, oh. it's, <laughs> it, it's a phenomenal thing. You're in Vegas. You don't do the normal Vegas things because it's all car related. And SEMA, uh, the way we do it, you need to be on a ticket with a brand or a, um, one of the businesses that have a booth. Okay. And so we're with EBC Brakes, who, as I said, are celebrating their 40th anniversary they've got a big big british contingency going out of content creators influencers but also we've got about 35 people that are ambassadors of ebc through petrol hedonism that are coming out for their own purposes to enjoy the show and we've built the car to go on their stand we're going to unveil it at 12 o'clock on the 31st of october the very first day of sema um and it's just going to be a phenomenal moment where it's a british takeover and i've just written to the top bods at sema introduced by ebc who have done 23 years with them so if ebc ask of something people listen and i just want to make it an amazing experience because for so many of those content creators like calvin like matt armstrong they've never been before and to be going first and foremost is a phenomenal dream for them but i already know having been in 2019 and 2022 that is the biggest networking opportunity ever i've met dave kindig i've met chip foos richard rawlins who did Petrolism Live 2021 and 2022. And I've got big dreams of who I can bring over in the future to any of my events. But it's in Vegas. What a setting. And it's Halloween on the Tuesday. So we've got the first full day of SEMA and then we've got Halloween. And I can tell you now, Fremont Street is freak night any night of the week. But on Halloween, it is the most phenomenal night out ever. So lots of plans. And yeah, 
if you can get there this year, you, you'll make it an annual pilgrimage. I just feel like last year we did four days in LA, then we went over to Vegas and did a week. This year we've got the car build. Um, I've already got two builds planned for next year. One has already started. Uh, wide body Fiat 500 with a Ducati engine swap. <laughs> You've got to keep it real and keep it Italian. It's like proper wide body. Like, yeah, it's pretty sick. We're doing that with Dip Monkey up in uh, Southport. And so many people that we've, we've built relationships with that now dip monkey are coming to SEMA this year. And after they booked to come as tourists, just to check out, it's been their dream. All of a sudden we're now building a car for SEMA next year before they've even been this year. You know, there's so much that happens through the relationships we've built and the networking and, um, inspiring people, inspiring each other, pushing each other, encouraging each other. And just that entrepreneurial spirit that we've spoken about already is infectious. Um, so I would say if you do SEMA this year, you'll be going back every year after that. And I haven't done SEMA twice now already. We then went to Tokyo uh, Auto Salon, uh, Scoot and myself went out there. And again, I just made that a dream that I need to go again this year. Next year, I need to go again because it's like SEMA, but in a different setting and uh, Liberty Walk and what if Ness hosted us out there. Freddie last night, I filmed an episode with uh, Tavares last night yeah. and I, I, I came away from that driving home thinking, oh, gonna end up buying tickets for this freaking event this year and i'm just going myself if so I have to. and now i'm sat here with you and i'm like yeah. i am buying tickets for this freaking yeah. event this year aren't i um so i think it may be a case of see you out there but for for your future uh it's been an incredible road and journey that you've had to ultimately yeah. if you if you're pursuing something for the pursuit of happiness that is your road to success that's flipping awesome but what does next year look like again do you want to cover off all the kind of events that you've already got planned um, for your car community, Petronism? Yeah, so Petronism 2024 is where we go in even bigger. And everything so far has been building the foundations to where we're going next year. The, my calendar's pretty much full. I really appreciate so many car clubs still reaching out to me to say, hey, can we put an event on together? The calendar's full. I struggle to put anything else in there because, you know, I know a lot of event organizers i know the ceo who runs the british motor show they run one event a year and they've got a team of six and jordan that's the main gravity jordan gravity like i he's got a great team behind him me i work it slightly different it is predominantly me i've got a great team around me i've got the merchandise team that run the merchandise side of the business i've got um consultants that work with me claire and jp who run security and stuff at events but they're consultants so i haven't got employees and i think what the hotel taught me building up a team to 52 people and having that reliance on my shoulders. I prefer working with consultants and freelance so that people come in, my marshals come in and marshal the event and they've all got their full-time job. You can't have a marshalling team on full-time because you're doing an event once every two weeks, for instance. So I'm in a good place in terms of where the business is. I think one of the biggest things is cash flow because you've got to pay out front for venue hire and things like that. But we're building up the, the funds, we're building up the you know the level of sponsors and traders and uh, ticket sales etc. That that brings me on nice because my my favourite saying was actually a saying handed down to me um, from my dad and we've got as part of the you just mentioned merchandise for your business we've started a basically a motivational artwork store based yeah. on our favourite sayings from guests and myself or whatever has been said on the podcast we sometimes turn it into piece of motivational art that if it's kind of resonated with someone they yeah. can purchase it and then have it in in their space and my favorite saying is turnover vanity turnover vanity profit sanity cash is king because it was only when i my dad used to say it all the time and i didn't understand it. it was only when i started running my own business 
I understood what cash flow was yeah. and how important it is to a business. Do you have a favorite saying that you live by? I have to think about that one. So I've got so many things I live by that I work through and um I was thinking about cash flow when you were talking about that. So I'm kind of like focused on the cash flow thing because cash flow is one of the things that can give you the biggest stresses or anxieties with any business. And it's it's a daily struggle sometimes. But you can move things about and you know things are coming in and people are chasing you for invoices. So I'm like stuck on I think the- you've got your saying on your top, to be honest. I think that <laughs> on, I think that it, sums yeah. it up. Yeah. The pursuit of pleasure sensor self-indulgence in cheese uh, achieved by the infusion of V power. Patriotism. Yeah. I think that sums That's it up it. perfectly. <laughs> but Cheer we've on. already got it on a t-shirt, so you can't have it, Ben. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Road to Success. That was a wonderful conversation, exactly how I love to do it. You've been a phenomenal guest, and I wish you the best of luck with everything that you're doing. Not that you need it. And see you at SEMA. <laughs> oh, definitely. Right. So SEMA, I'll get onto that email. Cheers. I'll get your tickets. Thanks, Ben, thank for having you very me. Much. And absolute pleasure. Thank you. So yeah, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you like and subscribe, and we'll see you again soon. Many channels out there end up launching merch stores, but normally these are cheap, low-quality items with someone else's logo on you don't even want. For Road to Success, we try to think outside the van. Therefore, we're going to be turning our favourite sayings from our most popular guests into quotes that you can buy as motivational artwork that comes framed, ready to hang on your wall in your space. You can choose to shop via business or sport categories or just buy your favourite guests. Go and check out our new store at www.roadsuccessstore.com or find the links in bios and descriptions. Let's win together. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.